What is Life's Learning Curve podcast? Well, it's stories that helped build the person we would become the best us. They picked me out of the crowd. A lot of people could learn lessons from our parents' generation. You know, fill your rooms up with people that love you, folks. So after all, it wasn't so bad getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. Daddy was going running like a wild dog. From childhood, all your stories, you remember telling them at a shorter height. We would actually run like crazy through the fields. Remember being a kid in summertime? Filleted my shin open down to the muscle. It was learning was a fun thing for me. Old people that would grab you and give you that wet kiss. Now that's value. Streaming where podcasts are heard everywhere. Visit the new website to find us. Lifeslearningcurve.org Let's laugh and love life again. This is Life's Learning Curve Podcast. I'm Paul Hart. Stand by for blustering, browbeating bully boy. Why didn't I bully kids? I don't know. It seems so common as a part of growing up to bully people, but I just, I didn't do it. I'm not trying to make myself sound like a saint. saint. It just never occurred to me. As we grow and we learn about ourselves, we soon learn our strengths and our weaknesses. Now, I have to say that both of my parents were just excellent at managing successes, and they expected us to fail at times. Matter of fact, often. So my dad would say that if you don't fail every once in a while, you're never going to learn how to do something better or how to do it correctly. And Thomas Edison, the great inventor, had this great quote which I'm sure most of you have heard before, where he uh, had said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. (laughs) Now, I knew it was normal to fail sometimes, but I was taught never to accept failure as a final expected result. You continue on from there. Keep building. I first saw bullying happen on TV, TV. just a regular TV show. Outside of TV, I saw bullying happen for the first time in reality, in real time, at a day camp for kids. I was about uh, six years old, and I went to this day camp. camp. Probably, I was the youngest. It was six-year-olds through 11-year-olds, so that's a pretty broad range. Anyway, I saw this group of boys begin to bully this boy named Wally. He could not do anything without being made fun of. That was my observation anyway. I was pretty shy, I was pretty quiet, so I was an observer oftentimes. Whether Wally was walking, or he was talking, which he didn't do very much, or we all had to eat lunch at a place called the Lunchatorium. A lot of times Wally just came to day camp, and after a while he just sat still. I saw Wally get punched in the face after about a week, and he just stood there and took it. And I recall a counselor, an adult, saying, Yeah, Wally's never going to achieve much in life if he keeps that up. Keeps what up? Man, I started to feel mad about this. That was when I first saw the strong feeding the strong to bring down a weaker person. I saw how bullies built their targets. I told my parents about it when I got home and they both said, let's have this boy over. 
So we had Wally over for a day after day camp had ended. Now he was eight and I was six and his only friend. He and I had fun. We had uh, kites. We had balsa wood airplanes. You get them at the drugstore. You put them together, balsa wood, kind of stick one thing into the other and had a little rubber band. You spun the propeller. You could throw and launch them and they would fly. Pretty fun. And we walked around by the creek by my house. There were no bullies there that day to taunt him. So after a while, his personality came out and he was kind of funny. In less than a year though, Wally moved out of state. No, we're still friends on Facebook today. He grew into his weight. He found confidence and he found success, a positive future from being bullied so long ago. So yes, failure can lead to success. The fact is we need more teachers. Can you help us? The next year after my experience with Wally in summer day camp, it was second grade and I changed elementary schools. And the reason was kind of an unusual situation. My sister and I went to the elementary school where my father was principal. It was pretty far from my house. But at that particular time, there was a shortage of teachers. Personnel department called up my mother, who was a stay-at-home mom, but used to be a teacher out of college, and said, we really could use you. And so she turned them down several times. And finally she said, well, if, if my kids can go to school or where my husband's principal, that'll take care of them. So they'll have somebody there. So my sister and I went to the grade school. My father was principal. And it really never was a problem at all. Uh, it was a nice school. It was a community school. It had good families. You know, there's always a few here and there. It really was a stereotypical type school from the 1960s. I have a teacher who was just wonderful named Miss Mitchell. And we were outside at morning recess. Our playground bordered on a cornfield, which a lot of schools did back then. These days, it borders on a lot of houses. Anyway, this cornfield had this wire fence. And it wasn't, don't think of ch chain link fences, it was a wire fence, not barbed wire, but just wire. So there'd be posts and a wire. And uh, we're playing um, kickball, I believe. A boy from my class comes up to me. Okay, Hart, you think you're so cool? You're not. You think you're so cool because you're the principal's son. Well, you're not. I remember saying, I don't think I'm cool. I mean, I'm still working on trying to be any kind of close to cool. But you think you're so cool? And he pushed me right in the shoulders. So I fall backward, but I'm so close to the fence that I literally go up into the wire fence and I can remember it just below my shoulders and just below my waist. And instead of like stopping me like a fence should, it acted like a spring. And so I hit the fence and I literally rebound off the fence and I go right on top of Russell. Which, which surprised me, number one, but two, surprised Russell even more. What the? Down he goes. Down goes Frazier. 
So Russell's on the ground and he gets up and he's really mad now and he's taking these swings, these roundhouse swings like in a John Wayne movie where you can see it coming a mile away so all you had to do is step left or step right. Again, it's not that I had so much experience in this field or this area. That's just what happened. But by that time, I look over and I see Miss Mitchell coming over and she stops Russell because I'm not swinging her fighting I'm, at the same time i'm a, still apologizing to russell okay? for knocking him down <laughs> after he pushed me up against the fence and oh, it sorry. knocks him down we had a classroom full of kids that year that loved to narc on each other it was just that thing so i can remember uh, a couple girls and a boy where miss mitchell said what happened here and um i can remember this one girl um laura said oh miss mitchell uh, Paul went to get the kickball, and he got pushed up against the fence by Russell, and he was talking bad to him and saying mean things. Is that right, Russell? Yeah. Paul, did you push him? Did you push him down? I'm like... No, I rebounded off the fence and knocked him down. It was like a spring. So he wound up in the principal's office. Now there's a conflict because I'm attending a school where my father is the principal. This is a disagreement or a disgruntled bully of a student who tried to pick on me regarding him as a principal. It was handled well, and I'll never really know what was said, except it got taken care of in a very unusual way. Here's where I have to insert. The previous Christmas, my dad and mom had bought me us. It was called Selectronic Roadway Set. And you put the pieces together, and they were slot cars. And you could press this little trigger gun and have slot car races. It was very small. It wasn't a big set at all. And I loved it. It was so much fun. You plugged it in, you cleaned the track, you cleaned the little feelers on the car so they can go fast. It was so much fun. After the incident with Russell, my dad comes home from work one day, and he's got a bag, a brown paper bag from a supermarket. And I look in there, and it's more track. There's more track. I said, is this the same track for my road race set? And he said, yeah, it is. I said, oh, man. I said, where'd you get this? And he said, well, Russell gave it to you. You mean bouncing me off the fence, Russell? Oh, I thought, that's really nice. So I remember going to school after break, and I said to Russell, hey, thanks for the road race uh, set. And I remember him saying, Yeah, well, my mom and my dad said, yeah. So there was no explanation. For two more years, two more years after that year, I got a bag full of road race stuff. Well, apparently that was the punishment given to Russell by his parents. That's how they controlled Russell from being a bully, and that stopped things. Some people like to make trouble. The thing is, if you're different, if you stick your neck out, and create something that's different than other people, you can become a target. And for some reason, it was very important for others to bring me down. 
A lot happened to me in second grade. This is toward the end of second grade. It involves a mild-ish bully situation. I used to take the school bus home from school, and I had pretty much an hour drive after everyone is all dropped off. I'm in second grade, and our elementary school went from kindergarten to sixth grade. So in the back of the bus, the older kids sat, and, you know, they claimed the seats, etc. There was this boy named Donald. Donald. And how did I know his name? Because the bus driver, whose name was Mr. Al, you know, to be... I'm sure his last name wasn't Al, but Mr. Al, Al. I liked him. He's a good guy. Uh, But he could get quite angry uh, while driving the bus if there was mischief going on behind him. And he was a yeller. That's how he controlled things. (laughs) So when kids would be in the back of the bus, I'm sitting toward the front because the little kids sat toward the front. And I'd hear uh, him just screaming, Sit down back there in the back of the bus! Sit down! And sometimes he'd use names. Roger, Kenny, Delilah, sit down! Sit down in the back of the bus! He's a good yeller. Then a really cool day came. They installed (laughs) a PA system on the bus. So he could reach up and pull down a little microphone and so he could talk into it and it came out of speakers in the back of the bus. And I think he couldn't wait to use that. So I think he had an idea that this was going to keep him from having to raise his voice. So when the same type of behaviors happened in the back of the bus with with uh, Delilah and with uh, Donald, he took the PA down and said, Oh, shit down back there, Donald. Shit down back there, Donald. In your seat. Thank you. It was loud, but it did not have the passion of the screaming bus driver man, of Mr. Al. So after a few days, he was back to, Donald, sit down! Sit down, Donald! Okay, Mr. Al. So Donald was kind of a creepy sixth grader kid who wasn't real well behaved on the bus. Toward the end of the route, I was the last person off the bus and Donald was second to the last person off the bus. He had bullied and picked on people throughout the school year. I remember being cold out, so it was probably around January, February, where I'm all bundled up toward the front of the bus and in the back seat I hear this voice. It's Donald's voice and I hear him going, What? And I turn around and I look at him and he goes, You! Didn't know what he was saying. A minute later I turn around and he's like two seats behind me. He's moved up. And it's creepy, you know? Uh, Things are creepy sometimes to you. I didn't get creeped out real easily either, but... So he's behind me, he's going... So I didn't know what he said, and so I I actually spoke to Donald, and I said, What are you saying? And he goes, Ooh, you've got those creepy round moon eyes. Moon eyes. Totally freaked me out. I was like, ah! Come on, we just sat in my chair. And finally he sat right behind me and had his head over the seat. And that was when the bus driver got to his stop. Donald got off the bus, 
See you, Mr. Rao. See you, daughter. See you tomorrow when I have to yell, sit down, Donald. Okay. Anyway, that went on for two or three weeks, and then he just stopped doing it. Why? Because my mom and dad, when I asked them, well, how should I deal with this? They said, ignore him. Ignore him. If that doesn't work, we'll try something else. It did. He didn't like not having attention. So, no more. It was Mike Busterson's senior year of high school, and he headed the drum section. Now, outside of the band room, Mike was quiet and barely noticeable in the hallways. But in his domain, in that band room, he was the king drummer. He would talk down to a lot of people. I was one of four new kids to the drum section that year as first-year high schoolers. Mike had some kind of charisma about him, and because of that charisma, maybe it was the low voice, he didn't get challenged very much. He was a great drummer. He really was. He had a girlfriend. We didn't know why. It had to be the charisma. Probably. (laughs) And he was a tall, thin kid, and he had a really deep, low voice, and it was loud. Move it! Long, fuzzy hair. It was the late 70s. He was hard to deal with. And he liked to bully first-year high school young drummers. But for some reason, not me. Why is this? Now, it took me many, many years to try and figure this out. It wasn't because I was so dominant, or I was so, uh, nobody's gonna mess with me, or I was loud like he was. I wasn't. I was kind of quiet. But as it turns out, it took me, <laughs> it took me maybe 20 years to figure this one out. Mike's mom was a teacher at the school where my dad was principal. And often we had had Christmases where our families got together. Now, I didn't think too much of Mike because he kind of sat off on his own and was kind of like an island. But his family was a nice family. Don't leave me alone. Well, with that in mind, I think that's why he kind of left me alone. Okay. Now, band bullies overall are odd. They're an odd group. Mike was always teasing and taunting my good friend Chuck and the other two drummers as well. And I think that's how Chuck and I got to be good friends. Mike would say to Chuck, What instrument do you play? Drums? Chuck would answer, No, you don't. I can remember another time Mike came up to Chuck and said, Give me your drumsticks. And then he'd take them, he'd put them on a table, and he'd break them in half. There. I just did you a favor. That guy. I hate that guy. He called Chuck out into the hallway once and he handed him a pass. And it was written to go to study hall. Band was a class at the time. And he said, You're not doing anyone any good here. So why don't you just go to study hall and make us all happy. I hate that guy. I don't know where he got the passes. I remember another time Chuck had gotten his first girlfriend, which is big thing in high school. Mike said to Chuck, Is that your girlfriend? Oh, she's a pig. Calm down, Chuck. Chuck didn't like that. Okay. I didn't like that. And I had to stop Chuck from slugging him, but he didn't hit him. Only once did he challenge me. I can still remember this. He was leaning on the drum storage cabinet in the band room as we were rehearsing a song. As he was leaning, I heard him go, Pfft. 
He used to do that a lot. We'd be drumming and he'd go... <laughs> I don't know how you spell it. P-S-S-S-S-H. And he said to me, Why don't you just quit? I had seen how this had affected Chuck and I gathered my guts up and I walked over to Mike. I was mad mostly for Chuck and how he had treated him. And I was about five feet away from him and I thought to myself, this has got to stop. So I just answered, What? I was hoping that Mike didn't hear the shakiness in my voice. Now the entire band room became silent and if you've ever been in band, you realize that doesn't ever happen. No one had ever challenged or rebuffed the drum king before. Drum king me. <laughs> and there was great interest from the entire band. So there was this pause where Mike had to determine what to say. Finally, Mike smiled just slightly and said, <laughs> Yeah, I was just kidding. No, go back and play your little thing. The main thing is I wasn't trying to challenge him. I just wanted him to know he had to stop pushing. As today's podcast unfolded, we found out that sometimes life presents us with bullies. And as these bullies work out their feelings of deep-seated inadequacies, sooner or later the bullying would end for us. And I would survive, Wally would survive, and Chuck would survive and learn and grow from it. Why don't you just quit? And we'd all learn about that person, that person who continually sought to harm or intimidate or provoke us. They saw us as vulnerable. Now these were just some of my childhood memories, and unfortunately bullying does not stop with age. I found in my experience sometimes the worst bullies were found as an adult in my adult years of life. As an adult, a bully may come across as aggressive, demanding, domineering. However, with a well thought through approach and assertive communication, you can sometimes turn aggression into respect. How? Well, that's another podcast. <laughs> For Life's Learning Curve and all the people out there who's had to face a bully, I'm Paul Hart. Life's Learning Curve podcast is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Charles Hines, Michelle Suckery, and S.T. Dog. We're mixed by Heidi Cerner, technical director Ted MacArthur. As always, music and audio assistance by Riley Hart. Some voices were altered for entertainment purposes. Check out our new website, lifeslearningcurve.org, and subscribe. We'd love to have you. As always, find us on Facebook and listen to us almost everywhere podcasts are heard. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more from Life's Learning Curve.